Ambassador grubbed in. Welcome, Captain Janeway. Parkland Planet is big and strong. Right. Well, I'm actually Captain Freeman of the Cerritos. I'm here to discuss a ceasefire. Oh, I was misinformed. I do not have a big enough helmet to make ceasefires. Okay, well, then I need to talk to someone with a bigger helmet. Ah! Stay back! The prisoner Rumdar, he ran away from Packlet Planet to her ship. You! Why did you steal Rumdar? <laughs> I can assure you we did no such thing. Ransom, is there a Packlet on my ship? That's an affirmative, Captain. This ship is strong. I can live here now. We think he's requesting asylum. No! Until she gives Rumdar back, Janeway stays here! <laughs> Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Carnegie, and with me slowly floating outside the Cerritos are... Bill Woiwad. And Adam Bowen. Welcome to Strange New Takes, and welcome to the strange new world of Star Trek that we've begun with Lower Decks, that we're going to continue with Prodigy, get more some Discovery along the way, some Picard, maybe even some Strange New Worlds. It's amazing, y'all. Well, today, we're covering the sixth episode of Season 2 of Lower Decks, The Spy Humongous. Uh, and make sure to follow us on social media uh, at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. At the same time, I want you to be telling your friends about the podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll make sure to read the review on the air. <laughs> and uh, just a heads up that we're going to be reviewing uh, this most recent episode of Lower Decks and completely spoiling it. Uh, and we also reserve the right to discuss any preceding Star Trek ever. So, uh, you know, if you don't want to be spoiled, you you probably want to go check out the episode before you listen. All right. Well, as I said before, The Spy Humongous is a James Bond film script that was rejected by Albert Broccoli as two camp, even for Roger Moore. Uh, it was nearly filmed in 1976. Uh, it starred Roger Moore, um, Barbara Streisand, who are, the, who are the other characters on The Spy Humongous, y'all? Who, who else who are we going to cast in this film? <laughs> um, Telly Savalas? No, he was actually in Bond. So yeah, so he can he can continue playing uh, Ernest Stavro Blofeld. Telly Savalas. No, was was Savalas Blofeld? Do you know what I'm talking about at all? Do you, are you all Bond fans? I, 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 I'm, no I've idea. run out of the actors that I'm aware are alive in 1967, so uh, that's my issue here. Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson can be the comic relief because this is a bad script. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, Telly Savalas uh, uh, played um, uh, Stub Blofeld in uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I'm a huge Bond fan, by the way, which you might have just discovered. So, all right. Well, I'm going to stop belaboring this joke. The Spy Humongous is the sixth episode of the second season of Lord Dex. It first aired 16th September 2021. We are recording just a couple of days after that. The episode was written by John Cochran, uh, no relation to Johnny Cochran, O.J. Simpson's attorney. Directed by Bob Suarez. The Memory Alpha episode summaries. 
Anomaly Consolidation Day on the USS Cerritos leaves the lower deckers with mixed emotions. Captain Freeman attempts to negotiate peace on the Blacklid homeworld. Well, we always start our recaps with our strange new takes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start us off this time. I just feel like it. Um, and something you may not know about India is that the Indian royals, so India had all these little minor royals and the British encouraged even more to come up because part of their like divide and conquer strategy. Anyway, there are all these little Maharajas and kings and queens and whatnot. Turns out the Maharajas were like great cooks. And there's one Maharaja in North India who like Anthony Bourdain did a cooking show with. Like the guy cooked food for all his guests. It's really, it's kind of interesting. And my mom recently uh, found again, she bought this maybe like 30 years ago, but this book written by this other Maharaja. Uh, so it's like all his like personal recipes. And I love to cook. I'm Maharashtrian myself. Uh, and so, so is this other Maharaja I was talking about. So I now... I'm just going to make myself the Maharaja of St. Paul and write a cookbook. It's like the Maharaja of St. Paul's cookbook, okay? It's all my personal recipes, which are like stolen from the internet. And it's going to be great. So you all get first dibs. I'm just sharing right now uh, when I publish. So anyway. I'm into it. I, these are the kind of real, these are the kind of royals that I can get into where like I get something out of it because I get delicious things like from them. So yeah, I'm, I love it. What, you don't like, like, globally televised weddings? That's not good enough for you, Adam? Huh? No, I, I'm makes me <laughs> dump some more tea into uh, whatever bodies of water I can find. <laughs> That's too bad Diana isn't here. Uh, well, anyway, uh, I, I, uh, my, my, my other strange new take is that, man, it's just this kind of bad thing that Lower Decks does, man. They destroy Star Trek and its continuity by doing something like making the Packleds live in the vacuum of space. Like, it just ruins Star Trek completely unwatchable. Okay? <laughs> Literally unwatchable. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Um, I'll jump in and share my strange new take. Uh, but first, wouldn't it be funny if it was Johnny Cochran? Like if he like left his career in, in criminal defense and became a Star Trek writer. Uh, well, it's funny how all the bad guys keep getting away with it in the new Star Trek scripts. Like, what the heck? Anyway. Um, okay. My, my strange new take is that Seinfeld is so, so, so much better than Friends. And I hear that, like, internationally, people, like, Friends is, like, really well syndicated. And so lots of people outside the U.S. are really familiar with Friends. And this should be, for, like, Joe Biden and Antony Blinken, this should be, like, a top, like, foreign policy priority is, like, setting the record straight and making sure that, all, all our like allies and adversaries internationally are like much more familiar with Seinfeld, and dis disassociating like Friends and America in in the minds of the global polity. Uh, so anyway, 
This, I mean, it, it was a fun episode. I, I, I don't know how long the joke is going to last, but I just love how dumb the Packlands are. <laughs> and their planet is called Packland Planet. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, uh, so for mine, uh, the, the real, I wasn't sure what to have as my real world world take, but my chickens gave me one this morning, uh, which is, I, I think Josephine must've accidentally squished an egg, uh, underneath her cause, uh, cause she has yolk just all up all over her. And, uh, Florence must've then gone and eaten that egg cause there's lots of yolk like on top of her somehow, which, uh, it's it's a little bit on the uh, on for, like they're, they're clearly upset with how messy they are and uh, yeah so I'm, I might have to deal with that after the podcast <laughs> um, but uh, for the episode I, I don't know that this really counts as the episode itself but uh, please Paramount Plus can you seriously add a skip title sequence button I, I, I don't know if this this is maybe just because I'm on the the uh, uh, the fire TV, but it's, it's infuriating because it coupled with their fast forward button, which if you press it and then immediately hit play, it, if it has to be like within a quarter of a second or it'll jump like three minutes ahead. So I, I, I like, don't even, I have to just like watch most of the title sequence every single time or gamble that I'm going to accidentally skip halfway through the episode. And it's infuriating. Yeah. Yeah, the I think the the worst effect of this proliferation of many streaming services is that each of them doesn't they don't have feature consistency in between each other like wish lists, sorting alphabetically, like even yeah. even just finding things. And I blame Netflix because <clears throat> Netflix had like a great interface maybe like ten years ago, and then they started tinkering and removing features like easily finding stuff through search and like alphabetical sorting, all this stuff. So yeah, it's their fault. <clears throat> well, anyway, uh, let's start talking about uh, the spy humongous in some more detail, and we can start with the story and writing. What uh, what y'all what y'all think about uh, this episode's? Uh, I mean, it had four different plots, but but did y'all like the way it was organized? Yeah, I I I think so. It, it it's um, I mean, maybe part of like what's working for this show is. Like it, they kind of don't need to connect the storylines that much, uh, because we can just like cut back and forth enough that you feel like maybe there's like a thematic thing happening. But it it kind of doesn't matter that we have pretty much two entirely separate episodes. Like I, I think the closest we get is is that uh, they they like pass each other in the hallway at one point, and so we're like, okay, there is both an A and B plot going on here, and. Uh, I, I I don't know. It maybe I would I I used to uh, come up against that a little bit more, but I'm it's just I'm fine with it. It does. I mean, I gotta say the anomaly consolidation duty plot does seem like a joke consolidation script. You know, I was talking about how my yeah. sketch comedy group had this thing called scramble sketches at the end. I think a few episodes ago I mentioned this, where we just took, like, sometimes you'd order a junk sketch. It was a terrible sketch, and you couldn't perform it for many minutes, but it had, like, two really funny lines, and you could take those lines and just perform them back-to-back -back from different sketches that you discarded. And I feel like that's what Anomaly Consolidation Duty was. It was just like, wouldn't it be hilarious 
if Rutherford yeah. turned into this giant being and you had to smear something under his nose to get him back to normal size. Yeah, and and I and I I feel like uh, at least like that part of it. It I I don't know that they that the, each any one of them in particular was like that funny, but it since they had them like one after another and then just like kept it like okay we'll try this one is this one funny uh and then sort of had an emotional arc that happened along with that like it it ended up making it uh like do its purpose uh for the episode so i i um i i thought it was a fine way to just like get random jokes about star trek yeah it was probably really fun for the writers and yeah i mean lots of like little loving jokes self-referential jokes about star trek like you know oh look at this froggy like oh be careful that's like from the planet where everything evolved really weird right it's like such a star <laughs> trek <laughs> like they're hyper evolving or like it's like some <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> some <Dangerous> stupid <laughs> star trek plot point yeah. yeah yeah i mean and also i mean it is a good question of what happens to all the random stuff that the like you accumulate during Star Trek episodes, like, do you just leave it on the planet? Do you bring it back? No, it's the lower deckers with an anomaly consolidation period. <laughs> I feel like that's also, like, a big theme this this season is just, like, that captains just, like, bring up a bunch of shit. Because we had in the first episode, uh, we saw that uh, Captain Freeman is constantly just, like, bringing in, like, new trinkets mm-hmm. from each mission and then, like, has to figure out how to organize those things. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, Sorry, keep going. Uh, no, I, I I think it it they end up making it fit together. You know what I was just thinking of when you talked about captains going down to planets and bringing stuff. You know which planet I would love. This is why I interrupted you, by the way. This is very important. You know which planet I would love to go to. The barbecue planet. <laughs> I would bring back so many artifacts. It'd be great. Uh yeah. Pretty sure Texas is the barbecue planet. Or North Carolina. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, Much more into North Carolina. Yeah. Let's go for that one. Hey, did you all notice how at the start of Anomaly Consolidation Duty, Boimler abandons Mariner again? Uh, right after they had their heartfelt speech about not abandoning yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I was... <clears throat> I was a little worried with how that would go, but instead she just immediately says like, oh, that was a great idea. Yeah, right? right. I, I feel like that, that permission-giving line was appreciated for me because it's like, okay, it's cool. Uh, I, I call that plot the Ensigns of Command. Um, just seems appropriate. And it, it is, it is kind of nice to see Lower Decks using the background characters that they've kind of just had walking around like that Kazinti guy we've seen him around Mm -hmm. this entire season Uh, I don't know if we saw I know we've seen Ensign Casey um, yeah walking around before and I don't know if we saw the um, what's what's her name Castro Uh, if we've seen her before do y'all remember have y'all have y'all noticed Castro in the past I haven't I, Casey definitely had some like lines last season, or he had some kind of minor. I don't, I don't remember what it was exactly, but he was like, he, he's at least got a, like a, like a very distinctive face that felt familiar <clears throat> to me. So, um, he's so, yeah. he's one of the people who's like in that thing where Rutherford is in the holodeck and he's killing all the children in the nursery <laughs> when he pulls the Jane Raymond over, <laughs> and and Casey's the 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 helmsman. 
uh, in mm. that episode and he's he's in a bunch of stuff at the back it looks like so so um castro is actually has been in two episodes what the her previous appearance was in on voice before so uh, and then yeah. is the, is the andorian jennifer yeah it is jennifer is that her name is really jennifer J- jennifer the andorian <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Um, yeah, so also Castro played by Gabriel Ruiz, uh, who has been in the past, uh, she's voiced another character named Lamont in, in, uh, Lower Decks and has been in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, a couple other, uh, things like Orange is New Black. And we saw Casey being voiced by, wait for it, Neil Casey, who I don't have any information for, so... Maybe it's some famous actor masquerading as Casey, and Casey will be revealed to actually be Data, and it was Brent Spiner voicing him the whole time. Okay, that's not what's going on. Anyway. For, for some reason, I'm, I'm always suspicious when an actor plays a character that is their name. Like, a, like I, I mean, I, I suppose, like, statistically, that's going to happen even if you just, like, randomly shuffle people. But, I, like, is it because you couldn't answer to any name that wasn't your name? <laughs> Well, now that is the reason why that happened. So we're just going to keep it as that. <laughs> By the way, while we're on the topic of voice actors, have any of you watched uh, The Mighty Boosh? It's a, it's a British nope. comedy show. Uh, well, anyway, it was, it was a, it's a very famous British comedy show uh, from like the early 2000s, 2004 to 2005. And it's um, one of the actors from it, Rich Fulker, was has been many of the Packlet voices in the past, and now he's the Packlet voice in this episode from, like, a bunch of the Packlets that we encountered, which is a really random thing uh, that I noticed while looking at the voice actors. So, um, yeah, I, I did not expect a Star Trek Mighty Boosh uh, crossover at all. Have you all seen the old Greg set of sketch- sketches? Yeah, yeah. That's from the Mighty Bo- That's from Mighty Boosh. So, anyway... Well, coming back to the Ensigns of Command. So, Boimler apparently is a legend on board the Cerritos. <laughs> Did y'all expect this? No, I I, uh, I mean, it, I, I guess, what, like, as they were talking through it, it made sense. But uh, it, it's it's kind of hilarious to think about Boimler being a legend at all. But I, I, I guess we know that he becomes a legend uh, centuries afterwards. Uh, from uh, I forget what, which episode that was in season one, but uh, so uh, so yeah, maybe this is just the beginning of it. I feel I feel kind of cheated though. Aren't these people supposed to be like insignificant pawns, and now they're like legends among the insignificant pawns? So I feel like we're getting the same old Star Trek where they're becoming like special people on this ship, you know, <laughs> rather than just being nobodies. Well, I, I mean, maybe that thing was just post-burn, and so we've lost records of almost everyone in Star in Starfleet, ah. and so the only two surviving things were of Miles O'Brien and Boimler, and so Miles mm. O'Brien was in more episodes of Star Trek, and so uh, he ends up being the most important one in the entire uh, universe. You just solved all the plot inconsistencies in Star Trek. We're just watching. Star- we're watching a TV show made by post-burn people, so they don't have proper records. So all the uniforms change because everyone who's writing a story has a different like take on some. Some person described a Star Trek uniform once, 
And, you know, when that book was transcribed, for example, they messed up whether the red and yellow was command and engineering. So so that that's mm. how it all went, you know. So so basically, we've just we've just solved Star Trek's inconsistencies through historiographical post burn lens. Well, they're <laughs> all just cosplayers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Buying things from Michael Burnham. Uh, anyway, well, um, it is it is kind of I think a culmination of everything that we've seen Boimler do uh, this season, where we really learn that he does have some command capabilities. He is able to deliver when he's asked to, and he's he's mm-hmm. a really competent guy. And in here, we just see him learning about presentation a little bit, but really he didn't need that to to kind of help out, and and he he can give the like rousing speech and I, I guess like together with his point at the end about like oh you need to be your own captain do you think that Riker like thought about what other people were doing when he he did his great stuff I, I kind of thought it was funny when the the thing that that they do at the beginning is he thinks about what Riker would say and that's how he's able to do his great speech um, right. So I, I think like Boimler has a little bit of that in himself where like he's constantly wanting to suck up to whoever is like the famous captain or whatever. But uh, he like, yeah, you've pointed it out several times, Notch, like the, these are competent characters, like they are able to get themselves out of situations like he's very knowledgeable about like, oh, what particular type of artifact was she affected by and like what could solve it Um so yeah, it's uh, I I mean it, it all it all fits and it's I I guess I like the the bit of uh, irony in the like his own consistency. The the Kazinti Ensign was given a voice, but not a name. He was voiced by Fred Tadaschiore, who plays uh, Shaxes and and the Armist too in this episode, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what what do you think of the Kazinti Ensign? Oh, I. I, I I mean, it, he's just been a background character, I think, for the the uh, maybe only this season. But the the thing that I loved getting to see here was like the connection to the animated series when they're showing them the the uh, the poor posture. <laughs> he demonstrates the exact pose of uh, what we saw in the animated series when we first saw Kazinti. Uh, I think it was a Kazinti telepath, um, and. Uh, yeah, it. I, I, I don't know. It, I, it was it was a great way of connecting like the old uh, animation style, which was just like make everything look awkward and shitty, uh, and the new animation <laughs> style. <laughs> yeah, just bad posture. I think the thing that that I loved about this plot though was that we finally learned how often Riker cleans his storm trombone. <laughs> <laughs> he does it enough to be disruptive. Disruptive. <laughs> what the heck, man? <laughs> he also apparently wears big pants. <laughs> A lot of room for his big legs. <laughs> you know what they say. Tall guy, big legs. <laughs> uh, finally, while we're online, this isn't a friendship. It's a starship. Are you a star or not? <laughs> I, 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 I need to like keep that in the back of my mind uh, and use that uh, I mean I'm gonna forget it but that's probably the greatest line in all of Star Trek so far you know I think well oh my god 
Anyway, just just let, let's circle back to the to Packlet Planet. Do you think there's a better name for Packlet Planet? What would you call like Packlet Planet? Packlet Planet is perfect. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I, I planet Packlid. I think that that's a little bit more dignified, you know, um, or or just Packlid. Yeah, but I, I mean that's the problem is that it's that gives them too much dignity, and we mm, can't right. Have... If it was like Packlid Prime or something, no, 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 no. yeah, like, yeah, like no. Packlid Planet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that if there was a Packlid system, the Packlids would be on like Packlid fifteen. <laughs> They'd be out in the, like the outer rings of the the, the system because they can survive uh, the vacuum of space. That's that's how they evolved. There you go. We just retconned it. Well done. Well done. <laughs> so so Carol Freeman is sent as the emissary to the Packlets, which again is just. I mean, far be it for me to question Star, Starfleet CNC, but it seems like a sensitive mission to send. Like, someone you wouldn't even allow into, like, a big-time party. <laughs> yeah, especially since we have seen that, like, this this seems to be the main plot point for the uh, the Titan as well, is the dealing with the Pakalids. So, <laughs> I, I love that it just, it like, she's, she's talking it up, like, oh, well, maybe this is going to be the kind of thing that, like, this could be a big win for me, and, like, may, uh, uh, maybe she'll be able to be enterprise level material and it's just immediately undercut by them calling her captain janeway <laughs> who knew the backlands like watching voyager i feel like that's like a little diss on voyager though so mike mcmahon i got my eye on you as a voyager <laughs> fan i'm offended um, but yeah i mean of course of course the backlands have like an entire planet made out of gold and they have like three different monarchs None of whom can make any decisions. Yeah, I, I, I love that it, each one is just very concerned about like, oh, my my helmet's not big enough for that. <laughs> and, and when the revolution when the revolution comes, <laughs> in mid speech of t talking about how we don't have to answer to these people anymore, he realizes he puts on the the helmet. <laughs> Uh, the new source of his power is how big his helmet is yeah yeah i think i think though i got the impression again i think it's yet another hint that there's something behind the backwards <clears throat> that like some that you know everybody's saying no no i can't make this decision my helmet's not big enough like it means that there's someone directing them in the background it's laura for sure yeah and so, we'll, I'm I'm curious to find out when when we'll get that because we only got four more episodes left. Yeah, and I I think we do have to get lore at some point in here because uh, I'm pretty sure that we last left lore. I think he's maybe disassembled and like sent somewhere, but he like I I've been confused every time that a. Uh, like a data style android has come up and they haven't just said it was lore because we like they could have used lore in nemesis they could have used lore in uh in picard and uh mm -hmm. yeah so i i think it had like lore would be funnier than any of them to show up in this show so yeah the so i'm just looking to see what where we we left um 
lore. It was it was at the end of um it was with his Borg followers. Yeah, I think it's Defense Descent Part Two. Yeah, and so confused with his new emotions and with his ethical subroutines deactivated, Data betrayed the crew of the Enterprise and joined Lore at his base. And then Lore was subsequently dismantled and the emotion ship, though damaged, was removed and returned to its rightful owner. So technically, Lore is in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. I mean, but they, but they just, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, he could have been destroyed or something. They just bring him back with plot magic and, you know. Yeah, he, <laughs> if, they want, if they want to bring, put him in the episode, they'll just put him in. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the post-birth people <clears throat> misunderstood how that whole TNG descent plot ended. So they, they, <laughs> they wrote it poorly. Okay. Well, one other thing, finally. Uh, Rumdar, the, the non-spy. Who... <laughs> <laughs> Takes photographs of the wrist and literally loves wearing knickknacks from the gift shop. When he when he <laughs> points the flash in his eyes and then he yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, poor guy never got to see the warp core. But um, which which as we know, Boimler thinks is the one, is most interesting part of the ship. He reveals at the end that the Paclets are smuggling a Veruvian bomb to Earth. Now, Veruvian is the 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 rock that that was introduced in the K, the first Keishan episode of that mining colony that uh, Boimler and his group go down in the shuttle. So it, it's kind of I, I feel like this is gonna come up because this Veruvian ore has now come up twice. It was like a specifically mm-hmm. created thing for Lower Deck. So I feel like there's gonna be some significance to that. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't have created something new, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like we're we're probably gonna have to go back to Earth and like maybe have an Earth episode, which and we're uh, uh, once again it's gonna only be like Soul Food and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Starfleet Command, and then uh, maybe a vineyard. Please, I really hope they make fun of that tree from Discovery. That's all I want Lower Decks to do. <laughs> I just want them to make fun of that damn tree. Uh, anyway, maybe they can have, like, Mariner planting it or something. I don't know. Anyway. No, it could, she couldn't have planted it because all these yeah, people from, like... Well, they can go back in time. Well, maybe, maybe that'll there be a major go. plot point of uh, Season 2 of Picard is since they're going back to the 21st century, Picard can plant the tree... Uh, and therefore, like, complete the circle. Well, we never... Did. So so just, just dialing back for a second to the whole who's directing the backlets question, we never established who that, like, silhouette in Enterprise was. So maybe that's who's directing the backlets. It's the temporal Cold War guy who is directing the Silibun. And we finally get to find out who it was. I mean, that, that would at least be, like, it, even if it's just, like, for a joke, if we could just, like... Put that like put that one to rest and say like okay it was this person, maybe that's <laughs> that's worth doing. There we go. All right. Well, um, let's take a break over here, guys, and we'll return. Wrap up just a couple of more couple more plot points that we've got left to talk about, and then talk about uh, the things we learned regarding the world of Trek from this episode. We should mutiny. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I, I know that wasn't good. It's just, uh, this isn't the same as actually being on the bridge. The bridge is wherever you are. Close your eyes. Think about Riker and say what he would say from the heart. His heart. <sighs> Look, I may not know exactly what we're up against, but I do know that in this, our darkest hour, I'm grateful. 
grateful to have a ship and a crew I trust with my life. Now, I'll be honest, there's no guarantee we're going to get out of this. But if we do, it'll be because of your combined talent and dedication. It's been the honor of my life to serve as your captain. But we're not dead yet. So how about we go in and kick some ass? Red alert! Take us in! Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where we've been learning about chicken contact lenses. I'll leave you to research that on your own. Uh, just a final piece about the plot. They prank called the Armus. We've had the Armus mentioned, I think, in like the first episode of Lower Decks way back when last year. And now we've got <laughs> the the Armus being prank called. What y'all think about that, huh? Awesome. Loved it. Yeah, it, they they saved the best for the last in this episode. And uh, <laughs> I but I, I I think I'll I'll spoil my rating a, a little bit here. I, I think it's still not reached the heights of masturbating Mugatu. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I need to sort of use that as part of my scale uh, to figure out whether something is, is uh, better <laughs> or worse than that. So, I, I don't remember much about the Armis episode, Skin of Evil. Do you, all, do you all remember watching that? Like, is it, is it pretty clear in your minds? I mean, I watched it. All I remember is that it's like Campy and Tashiar dies. And I think she dies like immediately or something. I, it's, uh, I'm trying, trying to remember exactly how, how it goes. Um, but yeah, it's a, I, I, I think it's one of those things that like they wanted it to be like a big, uh, scary, bad, evil thing. And it's like kind of ridiculous the entire time you're watching it. And it's clearly just like, we're pissed at this actor, so we're going to kill her. Uh, and yeah, man. TNG season one really sucked at making scary villains, didn't they? They had like the the like yes. anomaly passing through all the like the ship infecting people. They had the the Ferengi who were supposed to be like as scary as the Klingons. We had the racist yeah. whatever the hell that was in Code of Honor. Um, we had the Armus. Like what? What was going on in in the in the mid eighties there? To these writers, like, well, I, I mean, the the problem is that it what it, it was the mid seventies that I think is a lot of what um, the uh, season one comes from. It's like a it's a, a failed uh, Star Trek two uh, that they were going to write, which they then just like changed the names over to like Picard, uh, and then used it for the season one. I, I'm pretty sure there was something really? along those lines. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I was just going to say that I, I blame Reagan. Life was so good in America in the 80s, apparently. Everyone felt feeling so great that they were like, this like somewhat slightly like annoying thing is the most scary thing that we can think of. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was why it happened. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, uh, moving on. So I, I think that that's just about everything related to the plot that I can think of discussing. So let's talk about the expansion to the world of Trek, the stuff that we learned, a lot of like little anomaly things um, that are, that are that were kind of, I don't think we've seen the anomaly that turns you into a scorpion before. Um, we di I do think we have seen one of the anomalies in the past though, right? Um... Now I'm trying to think through uh, whether we've seen. Because there was the, um, the, the, the sci-fi laser thing. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, so th there's the, um, 
the sci-fi laser that you you brought up uh, for uh, what was that episode called? Pathfinder. Uh, uh, the uh, for Voyager, where it, that's that laser is seen in a, a num- innumerable uh, sci-fi shows, and I think was cre- you said was created for the Hulk television series or right. uh, something like that. And uh, it's right over there. Uh, uh, the scene where. Um, uh, where Mariner gets shocked in Lab Four Thousand and Six, uh, it's just right at the edge of the of your view, uh, where there's that sci-fi laser thing. So, yeah, yeah, those uh, the the little like um, spigot type things which are sending like a tube in which a red laser yeah. is running. Yeah, I, cool. I think maybe I think the main difference is that this one. I can only I can only see one laser, whereas I feel like mostly the other times we see the two lasers yeah. at once, but. It might just be the angle. Yeah, the actual physical prop has two. You're right. Um, well, we also learned a little something more about Winger Binston again. He's been referenced twice this season. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I love the idea it, <laughs> that he's played all of Jupiter moons. All of he's a has a one man show where he's played all of Jupiter's moons. What do you think? What do you think that show is about? Sounds pretty awesome. I mean, I'm into Jovian moons. <clears throat> what what is what is the have you guys looked up like the um, story of Jupiter's moons, like why they're named what they are? You all know you all know this uh, story. Uh, no, tell me. I don't think so. Yeah, so um, looking at uh, but, mm, go sorry that were they named by Galileo? Because I think they're visible through you know, Only the types of telescopes were... that. The biggest ones. Yeah, so the Galilean moons, Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto, were named by Simon Marius soon after their discovery in 1610. So these names fell out of favor until the 20th century, though. So uh, back in the day, they used to just be called Jupiter 1, Jupiter 2, etc., or like the Mm. first satellite of Jupiter. And so... The names Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto again became popular in the mid-20th century. So, um, and then the other moons were labeled uh, much later. Hmm. So, so that, that, that's, that's basically the story. I don't know if there's um, more of a story behind like the, the actual names themselves. So, And we've got, apparently got 26 of them that still don't have names uh, that we've noticed or that we've seen yet. Jupiter is mm. big, lots of gravity. Yeah. So, well, anyway, uh, Winger Bingston apparently can play 26 of them. Um, some of them are bit parts. But uh, yeah, so also we learned that, like we've been talking about, Bacalids can survive the vacuum of space, which shocked the doctor, which was hilarious. Uh, and of course, we learned about the Bacalid planet and its golden avenues and the revolution on the Bacalid planet as well. So, uh, and the Packlet hierarchy by helmet. So that was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> what about uh, what about character development, y'all? What did y'all um, what did y'all pick up about our favorites from Lower Deck in this episode? I I mean I I don't know if exactly it's it's uh, character development, but the uh, I suppose we I, I noticed on my second viewing that we actually foreshadow uh, Tendy's delight at slapstick humor uh when she's she uh starts laughing at um boimler from like i 
is it rice or something that he spills all over himself at the beginning mm-hmm. uh and uh yeah i i mean there's interesting character dynamics that are happening uh through that i don't know if that's the b plot it, you didn't give us our your official breakdown of like which was a b c and d so i, I don't know which one to call it <laughs> trying to be loose uh, man <laughs> but uh yeah i i, I think that they're they're keeping things off balance with the, our fair, our four main characters just enough that each episode can have like kind of a some sort of conflict going on that uh, teaches us a little bit more about one of the people. And yeah, I, I think it makes sense for for Tendi to have sort of a breaking point of um, blowing up at everybody and uh, kind of having to come back from that. She turns into She-Hulk too with all of her like torn uniform. <laughs> basically and being green at the end there yeah, yeah i mean i it, it is one again you know you see tendy trying to bring everybody together and and the group just doesn't want it we've seen this guy i feel like we've seen this before where she's trying to like be all positive and, and other people just don't get it so uh it seems to be a recurring characteristic there um i i think one of the, one of the things that i want to make sure to mention and maybe you should have done this before is Keyshawn is back yeah. Oh, we yeah. finally get Keishan again, Carl Tart voicing Keishan. And uh, so he's not gone. He seems to still be in charge of security since he was in charge of the, like hurting the spy from Dahar. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we did y'all understand the, uh, the, the, the language that he used at one point? You, you mean the, uh, you getting Baz Minty when he pulled back the veil vibes here? <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that, were we supposed to get there? Uh... I, I was, I, I forgot to look that up before we, we did this episode. I was going to see if, if Baz Minty is a character from Star Trek. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I didn't find anything when I searched and it's, um, yeah, it, it, I think I, so. The memory alpha page just refers back to this episode, so that is it. That is a new thing that we've learned about uh, about the Tama language. So, all right. Well, any other final things that you want to talk about before we move on from here? Let's let's move on to getting some strange new ratings. Then, who wants to stick their neck out and give the spy humongous a rating? I'll go ahead. I I think I'm gonna give this. A, I'm kind of I'm kind of torn. I'll give it a six out of ten. Uh, I thought it was it was fun. It was cool, but I I don't know if it was really remarkable in any way. And yeah, so I think it deserves a, a six. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I think I'm gonna give this one an eight. It, it like we talked about before it's, it's got like it's half of it is just an episode that's like grab bag of like funny lines and other, like funny callbacks like I, I i don't think we had mentioned it before but the um i loved that we had the padded shoulders and pecs uh in his <laughs> uniform just like uh, the tng uniforms and uh, i so and print calling armis was that was that was a masterpiece moment and uh i so I, I I think I'm gonna rate this one an eight because it like th- those were some great moments, but I don't know that that the whole episode felt like it was just like building into that the way that um, the best episode of Star Trek, uh, which was uh, Mugato Gumato, uh, it's that I, I it hasn't reached that 
that peak level yet. I think. I so think. The, yeah, go ahead. I, sorry, did they really wear like fake pecs in their uniforms in TNG? I think there there are at least fake uh, uh, shoulder pads. I think that were that were seen in in some of the uniforms. Oh yeah. But I, I but I, I'm I don't know. I I feel like uh, at least seeing how the people look in Enterprise and looking at how they look in TNG. I don't think that like Worf is actually as buff as Worf appears to be in some of the episodes. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. And, and same with like Riker and, and them. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious of the uniforms then. Yeah. 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 Worf gets pretty big towards the end. I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some, uh, you know, padding. Big diss on Michael Dorn right there. Uh. <laughs> You know, Adam, I think I think what you said earlier makes a lot of sense to me. Mugato Gumato for me was a very consistent piece of work because there was really just one plot the whole way through um, with a few like branches. And this, there were two, I, I thought there were two very distinctive plots and I the, the whole anomaly plot just didn't work for me. I thought the rest, of, the, the funny thing is the other, other half of the episode, both with uh, Boimler and with... Um, with the Packlet stuff was hilarious. I actually wish we'd got more of Rumdar and less of Anomaly Consolidation Duty. I think that was a major missed opportunity. And like, I think that in some ways in the past where we've been like, whoa, why are we following the senior officers? We should be following the lower deckers. Like this wasn't what lower decks was. I feel like the opposite in this episode. I'm like, why didn't we follow the senior officer chasing down Rumdar and see more hijinks there instead of like, ooh, this crystal is very scary. Um, so I don't know. I, I actually, you know, last, I think it was, was it last week that I gave a very soft or two weeks ago, I gave a very soft, uh, uh, rewatchability threshold. And I think this time I'm going to give a very hard one that falls just under so six and a half out of 10 for me. I do think I would enjoy watching this episode again, just because of how much it establishes relating to the packlets. It's that is, it's so good. It's so good. And, and the end I didn't even, I, when the Armas first popped on screen, I was like, really, really, you're going to do this? And then when like the scene unfolded, I found myself laughing uncontrollably without thinking about it. Like I, I just could, yeah. and it was just like, oh, this is, this is just funny. There's no way around it. So uh, six and a half hour time. Good job, Mike McMahon. Yeah. So, so there's one thing that we all agreed on, which was more Rumdar. So yes. writers, I hope you're listening. We <laughs> we found more Rumdar spinoff series all about Rumdar. <laughs> Rumdar and uh, who was who's that huge alien in the like Coliseum type thing? Do you remember his name? Oh, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> the, the one from the culture that like yeah, something with like worships a G crystals. Or... Yeah, uh, oh, Westels. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved. Temp the episode was, was a temporal edict where they're in the culture that hate that that worships crystal and hates the the other aliens that worship wood, uh, and it's uh, Vindor. Vindor. <laughs> we need Rondar and Vindor together. <laughs> I mean, I I'm more excited about that than I am the uh, the Section Thirty One series. So. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Well. Uh, thank you, Bill, and thank you, Adam, for talking about the spy humongous with me and enduring my dumb James Bond jokes earlier. I really do appreciate it. Anytime, Nutch. Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you, Emily, 
Rudy, Max, and Dinah, wherever y'all are and whatever y'all are doing. I hope y'all are having a great time, Rudy. I hope your internet gets back in time to actually listen to this episode. Uh, thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. We always appreciate hearing you strum away at the Klingon theme. And thank you, listeners, for sticking with us through 62 episodes. If you haven't, go back and listen to the back episodes. They're pretty fun. And uh, special thanks to the guy who runs the Cerritos gift shop. You know, it's hard catering to visitors on a starship. They come so, like, rarely... They might have very weird tastes. You know, I'm a marketer. I understand how hard it is to segment customers. It must be a nightmare when all your customers are from different planets and, like, maybe some of them can't even wear clothes. So weird. Anyway, so special thanks to that guy. <laughs> we'll come back next week, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.